call us your own, not through our work, but through your work. So we thank you that you sent the only commendable one to become condemned so that we who are condemned might become commendable to you. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I feel like with this new Adams House announcement, it uh, feels almost, uh, it's, it's, I don't want to sound depressing here, but it's kind of like a funeral to me. It's like somebody that we really love died. Because I've been walking along through this with, with these guys and, as and women as I've been praying and thinking through this and looking towards the future and... Uh, so much was put into it, so much heart and effort and love and dedication, and so many lives were changed and touched, and now, you know, suddenly on one Sunday morning, we say, well, okay, <laughs> that's all, um, and it's hard to hear that, so this is a process of going through, it's a major part of who our church is, and recovery is a part of who we are, and it's going to continue to be a part of who we are. Uh, I'm so thankful for the vision that was cast for that and the celebration we can have for those men who went through and were helped. And that is a treasure of this church forever. And uh, such a blessing for me to step into the role that I did with Chris. He was officing up there with me for a little while, right across. And I even went to the extent, you know, when I told Chris I was a snowboarder, this was his reaction. (laughs) It was just nothing. (laughs) Zero. So I, at six points, I found this big old, uh, yeah, he wasn't the only one, but I found, this, yeah, I found this big Burton snowboard sign, so I bought it at six points to put just where Chris could see it. It's too annoying. So we had a lot of fun. He helped break me into uh, working here, and that's a treasure to me I will not forget, and we'll be friends and serve together, serve the Lord in different places. Um. And I'm so thankful. I know you guys are. And we just need to continue to pour into the guys who are here. Uh, they are awesome. They have inspired me. I, loved, I love being with them. So anyway, we're going to celebrate even though we're going to be sad. Something that I've noticed that about living in the mountains is that there are certain places that you go where you have a vista that you may have seen from different angles. But when you get to that one place and you see it from that one spot, you're like, it's unbelievable. And you probably can think of a place like that in your mind. You get to that place and you're like, I've seen this view, but from here it's different. And there's some standard ones, I think. Those of you who uh, are mountain bikers, you know when you come down from the top of 401 and you're headed this way and you're in the meadow of flowers and you look down to the Deer, Val- Deer Creek Valley and you see the Mount Crested Butte tiny down there, you just want to stop every time. You, those of you who know what I'm talking about, you see it and you're like, oh God, hold on, got to look at this. And there's a couple of points on the mountain that you get. I remember one time on a ride, I was down, I don't know the number of this trail, but it connects from Strand kind of over towards CB South. I was coming this way on that, and you come over some kind of hump, and you're in a little meadow, and you see up towards town, and you see the valley, the valleys going up. 
And you just, you have to stop. No matter how many flies are landing on you, you stop and you look because it's, it's this particular vista that you just take in and it's just unbelievable. I think you know what I'm talking about. And I, in some way, as I've been spending a lot of time with First Peter and seeing how Peter has, we're only on the 12th verse here today, y'all. He has so carefully crafted the words of this passage to these people that in 12 verses, he has gone from scene to scene to scene to scene. And it's like he is showing these people different views of Jesus, of the gospel, of the reason for the suffering that they're going through. Each one designed to help them move forward through it. It's amazing. I've, I get, I have the privilege of spending time with it and seeing this. And it, it's almost like Peter is anticipating their thoughts, their questions as they go through. Because remember, these people are suffering. They've been exiled. They're, they're lonely. Their families are ripped apart. And it's, he says, so he, he speaks into this context of, of turmoil. And he says, you can have peace beyond anything that you ever thought that you could have. And I, and I think at that point, they're, they're saying, but we're exiled, we're alone. We're, we've moved, everything is not going the way it's supposed to. We feel alone. And, and the next thing he says, in the next couple of verses, is he turns and he says, but you're a part of the family of God. You've been reborn, born again into his family. And now you have this inheritance that can never be taken from you. And they say, well, that may be true. We have this, this living hope, this future, but these trials are so difficult. We're suffering with this in spite of what you say, Peter. And the next thing Peter turns and says is, those trials that you're, you're facing, they're real and I want to acknowledge them, but those trials are refining you like a fire refines gold so that you can please and serve and glorify God. So he turns the corner and shows them this different angle but then they say, they, they could say, I, but I don't, but we don't see him. And I think any of these questions are things that we all feel. I just don't see God. I don't see him working. I am lonely out here. This is hard. I'm going through a very hard time. Where is God? And he says, he says, this is the beautiful thing I see about your faith. Is that even though you don't see him physically, you believe. And when you have believed in him, the, th- the thing that follows is joy because of who he is. Well, the next question I think is obviously, well, we're in this really hard place and we don't see God. We may have faith, but, but I don't feel any joy. There's no joy here. What's going on? And, and that's where we are today. He turns, this is all in just 12, that was all in nine verses, y'all. This is the 10 through 12. And in 10 through 12, he says, okay, I know this is hard. But what I want to do is show you that this thing that you believe in, this thing that has come to you, your salvation, is something that is so amazing, it is hard to comprehend. It is so, so much better, so far beyond anything that this world offers, and so far beyond any of the suffering that you're going through. I'd search for words to to try to share this with you today, but it it is just incredible, the salvation that you have. And that's Peter's main point. He starts this verse 10, he says, concerning your salvation. And he's he's saying, okay, I want you to see this. 
I want you to see this about it because it's going to encourage you. It's going to help you as you move through these difficult times. Let me, let's read the passage together. It's, it's 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Jesus and the subsequent glories, his subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but they were serving you. In the things, in things that have now been announced through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. So uh, before we jump into it, I want to just say one word about, the, or a few words about that one word, salvation. He says, concerning your salvation. Now, the word salvation is one of those things, I think, that has, it's a word that has had so many different things piled on top of it. And we have inherited so many thoughts about what it is, but I'm not sure that we get it in our modern context. I think salvation is, is, it is the word that's used here. But I think it's, because you see it when you go in the movie store, you see, you know, Terminator, salvation. You know, <laughs> there's salvation on these different things and shows and this idea about what it is. And if you go up and you're talking to a friend who's not a believer and you say, let's talk about salvation. Come on. They're looking at you like, salvation? What are you? And I just want to be honest with you. That's a, uh, as believers, we have to be relevant with the word that God has given us. That's the whole point of the trans- translation. Otherwise, we'd be t- talking about this word in Greek, which isn't salvation. We didn't have that word. It's different. So all of this to say, this is just a little aside, Scott's little aside about this. Salvation is the thing that you have if you're a believer in Jesus Christ that is the renewal, the reconciling of your relationship with God. So when he says, concerning your salvation, he says, concerning the renewal, the rightness of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And you got there because of faith, and you found out about it because of the words of the gospel, the good news. And you, you may have noticed, I know there's a lot of words in this passage, but in there he says, you heard this preached to you by those who saw this thing. You heard the words, the good news, and that's the gospel. So the gospel is this set of information that's dynamic that is, informs us and informs everyone about what, how to know God and be reconciled to him, and that is salvation that these people are experiencing. Okay? So that's, that's the salvation thing. That's what he's talking about. It's this renewal of our relationship with God that was broken and we could not fix, only fixed by Jesus. And here's how he wants to describe it. Here's how Peter says... Um, this is my argument, or these are my, these are my vistas I'm going to take you to, the scenes I'm going to show you that are going to help you see this in a different light and encourage you and, and have, so that you will reflect and say, this is unbelievable what I have. This is beyond what I could have expected or hoped for. And what he does is he grabs three groups of individuals to prove it. The prophets, the apostles, and the angels. So that's going to form our outline. I think it forms Peter's outline as well. So he gets these people that the, his listeners will identify with. The prophets, 
the apostles and angels, and he's going to use them to encourage these people as they're, they're like witnesses to show this, these different views of this incredible salvation, this renewal that they have in God. So, first he says, what you have is what the prophets could only dream of having. This salvation that you have, that we have, is what the prophets could only dream of having. Look at verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They were looking for this thing. They wanted to see this. And the reason that the prophets are, he uses the prophets, I think, is that a lot of these people who were exiled, these believers, were people who were Jews. So their heritage is Jewish. And they venerated the, the, the prophets. So the things that the prophets taught, the, pro, the things that the prophets sought after were things that these believers would identify with and want for themselves. And they, he says this. He says, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. He, he's kind of equating salvation with grace. So we, we need to talk about that for a sec. Grace is something that cannot be deserved or earned. The prophets dreamed of this Messiah who would bring in to the world grace. Because the, the prophets lived under law, right? Their whole existence was about law. It was about doing certain things to achieve the approval of God. Now, we know from the scripture that God also looks at the heart. That's what he's after. So if sacrifices or actions or whatever were done, uh, even following the law were done without a heart after God, then they were worthless before him. However, that temple system and the laws were applied to these people. And so the prophets were looking forward to this time and they were dreaming, prophesying about this thing that would come. There was a Messiah. So they, they were hoping for this grace that would come. And here's the, here's the thing about grace. We talk about it, and it's, it's maybe a word that we occasionally use, but grace is something that when we get a, a true glimpse of it, when we really see it, it should blow us away. It should knock us off our feet. It should make us uncomfortable, even, because it is so significant. We talk about it like it's a warm fuzzy. You've received grace. But grace is dramatic. It's, it's beyond things that we can, we can even wrap our minds around. I love the way uh, Keller says, talks about grace. He says, grace doesn't mean giving something to someone to whom you owe nothing. Grace isn't giving something to someone to whom you owe nothing. Grace means showing favor to someone to whom you, in fact, owe the opposite. Not just nothing, but the opposite, showing favor when you should not show favor, when they have not earned that. It's utterly undeserved. God created us for relationship with him. We turned our backs on him. The sin of our rejection of him was so great that Jesus had to die for us, even if you were the only one. It says in the scripture, if you were the only one, he would have died for you. 
That's how significant it is, this rejection, rebellion, and breaking of the relationship with God, how significant that is, that Jesus had to die for us. And until we see and understand that, we really can't even begin to understand grace. We have to get the harshness of our rebellion, of sin, to understand how grace covers that. And the prophets dreamed of this thing that is grace. They prophesied about it. It's what they were about telling the story of. And you have it. You have this. You and I have this. They had this. But he also says about the prophets, they, they saw this salvation in terms of grace, but they also saw suffering. As they look for the Messiah, it, it says in 11, the prophets were inquiring what person or time the spirit of Jesus in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah. They were looking for, the, for this person, Jesus. They didn't know who it was but he would, he would be the one who would usher grace in. But at the same time, they predicted suffering from him, for him. So why do you think, and I'm asking you to respond, how, why do you think that Peter points out that the, the prophets were looking to the suffering of Christ? Why would he have used that as something to encourage them with? Okay, they were suffering. So there's this tie. We talked about that a bit last week. Excellent. So there's a suffering Savior, and he suffered, and we suffer. And so we can identify identify with him. Any other thoughts about why he might? Okay, God's glorification, but what what do you mean? That's coming next. So there's a contrast. Any other thoughts or anything? Okay, suffering suffering was critical to the process. Yeah. Suffering of the Messiah is what it, it is the game changer. The Messiah suffering is absolutely unique to Christianity. Christianity isn't like one of several options. Christianity is utterly unique in itself, and this is one of the most incredible parts of that. And can you imagine the confusion in the prophets who are looking for this king, this son of God, this ruler, this good and merciful leader, and then God says, well, write this. He's going to suffer like nobody else. That must have been awkward. Are you sure you want to write that? <laughs> or say that? See, think about the confusion. If you just put yourself in their place for a second, there's going to be a Messiah who's going to usher in grace, and he's going to suffer. Because that is, the, that is the change. That is the difference. He is the one who's going to suffer and be the lamb that will take your place. You see how Peter's painting this picture. He's showing them this view of the salvation that they have and says, this is unbelievable. This is so sublime. It's so beyond what you could imagine. 
So Christ suffered like us, and Christ suffered for us. How can Peter cram all this stuff in, this, in these few verses? When I was a kid, there was a commercial on TV for my, for my mom. Well, it was for my mom because she bought the thing. It was a purse that could fit everything in the world in it. <laughs> so if you're maybe over 30, you remember this purse. And I actually, I was thinking about it in terms of all this information coming out of Peter. And I, I thought it was all crammed in such a tight space. It made me think of that for some reason. So I looked it up on YouTube. And it's this funny commercial from the 70s of this lady. She's, you know, it holds this and this and this, and it's made out of pure naugahyde. <laughs> Whatever a naga is, I, I don't know. Uh, it's a nog. What's that? Yeah, well, I, I actually found it. I can share it with you. Um, yeah, it was funny. It was a funny thing. This is kind of what Peter's done. He's just crammed all this stuff in here. The purse of First Peter. Nobody would want to come hear that message, though, so I didn't call it that. <laughs> but there's one more thing that the prophets, uh, the prophets saw. They saw the grace of the salvation. They saw the suffering of it. They also saw the glory of it. And glory is another thing that we struggle with because we don't operate in the context of a, a kingship or people who are elevated like that. We don't see that kind of concept around us too much. But we do understand suffering. And the suffering of Christ was cosmic. It wasn't just him on a cross. At that point, he was dying for the sins of each individual, past, present, and future for all time. That's cosmic suffering. And just as much as that was suffering, the grace, I mean, the the glory of God is so far beyond that and overcomes all of that so much. That's the glory that we're talking about here. This thing that, so we can at least understand it in the opposite of suffering. And Peter has said earlier, he says, you'll have joy even in the midst of these struggles, but the joy is empowered, it's filled up, the content of it is the glory of Christ. That's what fills that thing. And so we have to be in touch with the amazing nature of redemption, of salvation, so that we can actually experience the joy in in suffering that is made possible because of what he did and now who he is in glory. I want to read to you a passage from Isaiah. And the reason I go there is because it brings so many of of what's said in other places about the Messiah together. We'll start in 52. What I did was I I just um, smoothed out, I pulled out a few verses so that we wouldn't read for too terribly long, but if you start, what, what you're going to see in here as I read this, I want you to see grace and suffering and glory from the prophet Isaiah. We're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 52 and just read five or six verses into 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. In verse 4 of chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was placed the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is grace. Seven, he was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth like a lamb led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. Suffering. If you go to verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. You see, hundreds of years before, the, before Jesus was there, the prophets were looking for a very specific thing to happen. The arrival of grace with suffering and glory. It's unbelievable. It's just fantastic. And it's this view that he delivers to them. Okay, so he's shown us, and we spent most of our time with the prophets, just a few moments on the apostles because they experienced, this is a group of people that experienced what the prophets longed for. It says uh, in verse 12, it says, It was revealed to the prophets that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you by those who preach the good news to you. In other words, the apostles, those who are with Jesus and preach these, who saw it and told you about it in the good news of the gospel. So these, he's, he's brought them to the prophets and he said, look at this about your salvation. Now here are the apostles, look at this. They experienced what the prophets had been sharing about, what they had seen, what they had dreamed of. It was real to them. And, and the place, this brought me to this place uh, where Jesus interacts after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. You remember this? In, in the, he, he, he has only, barely been seen yet, and he shows up walking beside some two disciples, two followers of his, that have said, you know, we're not going to stay around in Jerusalem. We're going to go back to our hometown. So they're walking, and Jesus appears beside them, and they're talking about what's been happening. And Jesus says, hey, tell me about what y'all are talking about. And he, they don't recognize him. And in this conversation, they recount the fact that there was this guy who came and said he was the Messiah, and that he was good, and, he, and they could follow him, and they could know God through him. And then... He was crucified. And they're all confused. And then on the third day, the tomb was empty. So they tell him his story. So he's listening. And then he turns to them. And this is Luke 24, verse 25. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And listen to this. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophet, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The prophets had been looking forward to 
to salvation, to suffering and glory. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of that. Can you imagine the lesson that those guys got? Out of the mouth of Jesus, here's how I showed you who I was all the time and you totally missed it. But he still has compassion on them and they all end up meeting back in Jerusalem. And the apostles saw Jesus and they believed and they began to spread the good news. So we've had the prophets and now the apostles have seen this thing. They saw it in real time and now they brought it to you and to us. We read it through the scripture. The one final group that he turns to, which is just an incredible last line, just last few words of verse 12. Even the angels gaze in wonder at this thing. It kind of pulls you up short for a second. It says, well, the, the prophets, that's a pretty big deal. And the apostles, that's a big deal. But the angels look at this and are blown away. They look at it intently and they're, they're just knocked off their feet. The last line. Uh, you, the apostles preach this good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. That takes me to another place where angels are interacting with people. You remember when Jesus is born and there's shepherds, this is part of that story in Luke, and the angels appear and they say, glory to God, the Messiah has been born. Angels speak to men about the Messiah. There's a lot written about why the angels might long to see this, might gaze at this intently. Tons. You could read about it forever. But I think there's one, at least one reason that we know. And that is that the, the angels had seen from a spiritual perspective the cost of grace, the radical thing that grace is, the unbelievable thing that it was that we would reject God, but God would yet through his son suffer for us. And so they had seen this thing and were overwhelmed by it and were observing us and, it, and, and they, they can't believe it. So do you see how Peter has walked these people in just three verses to these different views of salvation that are supported by individuals that they trust. And so let me, let me close with this. My encouragement to you, no matter where you sit in your faith, whether you have not crossed the line of faith to know Jesus yet, it's okay. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, in any case, there is not one of us, I think, in here, and you wouldn't be here unless these apply to you, who says to God, Lord, sometimes I cannot see you. I want to believe, but I'm really struggling. I'm having a hard time in life. Why is this happening? Why am I out here on my own? All questions that these people in First Peter are asking. So let me remind you of what Peter just said. The salvation you have is unbelievable. It is Sublime! It is incredible. It's a salvation that was dreamed of by the prophets. It was revealed to the apostles through Jesus. And is so magnificent that even angels are overwhelmed when they take it in. 
Let me pray for us. Father, I, I come to you with my friends here, Lord, and we confess that we just, we struggle with believing sometimes. We have all kinds of reasons that we go through in our minds that seem legitimate. But God, I'm just, I, when I think of the angels being overwhelmed by what you have done and how good you are to us, the grace that you've shown us, Lord, we're so thankful. God, let us, uh, let us this morning spend time, just these last few moments, just reflecting on how good you are to us and how you've provided a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on a tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected, yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. By his Son, God now has spoken, tis the true and faithful word. Tell me, ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends through fear, his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him, none would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great. Here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, Son of man and Son of God. Here we have a firm foundation, here the refuge of the lost. Christ's the rock of our salvation, His the name of which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded Who on him their hope have built 
Amen. Go out in the grace and peace of our Lord God. Have a great day, you guys.